Welcome to today's podcast. This is Ray Martinez hosting Just Having Another Conversation with Ray Martinez. Today's study is uh, lengthy, <laughs> if I can say the least. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 through 24. It's the entire chapter. But I've titled this message, Call Unto Me. This chapter reminds me of the great verse, God's telephone number, Jeremiah 33.3. And it says, Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. In the King James Version it says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Now this story, I now encourage you to please read it beforehand because I won't read the entire thing because of the length of time it'll take. But King Jehoshaphat was faced with a huge dilemma in his reign. War was declared against Israel by the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Milunites. <laughs> These are fancy words they use in the Bible. In the second verse, messengers came and they told the king about the, the troops that were on the move to attack. Well, this was considered a vast army from Edom, and they, they were not far away. They were kind of like hot on their trail. When you look at verses 3 through 4, naturally Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news, but notice what he does first, the first thing that he does. He begged the Lord for guidance. Very important. He ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. People from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek God with the king. I can only conclude that Jehoshaphat had a great reputation and a sense of respect from the people, from them to come quickly to his side to seek God. As you follow along in verse 5, it's interesting that Jehoshaphat was not ashamed. Like a good leader, he stood in front of the community of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord. There was no separation of church and state. Instead, there was preparation with the state and church. He had no shame as to what he was doing. Nothing embarrassing about what he was doing, seeking God's help. I love what Sir Winston Churchill said. The pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. The king knew if they sought God, they could be rescued because of God's past answers to prayers and knowing God's promises. So there is a track record. He knew God would take care of them, but yet there is a sense of fear. In verse 6, the king prays out loud, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. In this part of the prayer, the king talks about God's strength over the universe. But if you take a look at verses 7 through 8, the king reminds God of what he did in the past to drive out the people of the land that God gave them, and that they are the descendants of, quote, your friend Abraham. That's how the king refers to him, is he's talking about your friend Abraham, and here's the promises that you made. That's an awesome reminder. It's almost like King Jehoshaphat was reminding God, hey, we're your friends too. Also, the king reminds God that they settled in this land for the very purpose of building the temple in God's honor. 
and you look at verse 9, here he reminds God that they were taught through the ages that, quote, whenever we are faced with a calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored and cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. This is a statement the king is making. King Jehoshaphat is declaring a statement. King Jehoshaphat makes a statement of the problem to God. The armies are going to attack them after their ancestors were not allowed to invade those very nations when Israel left Egypt. Instead, they went around them. So he's trying to create this scenario and show that we were courteous to them and there's no good reason for them to attack us. In verse 11, Jehoshaphat pleads with God to see how they're being treated now, to be thrown out of uh, your land. He refers it to God's land, to be thrown out of your land, which God gave them as an inheritance. In verse 12, he says, Oh, our God, won't you stop them? The king lets God know that they are powerless against these armies and that they don't know what to do, clearly pointing out how they are looking to God for help. Well, as we keep going down in verse uh, 13 in that same chapter, in this verse really illustrates how God can use anyone and will use anyone to communicate with. Out of the whole crowd of women, children, and men, the Spirit, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, Jehazel. He is the son of Zechariah, descendant of Asaph. In Chronicles, it is said that Asaph was a descendant of Gerashon, the son of Levi, and he is identified as a member of the Levites. He is also known as one of the three Levites commissioned by David to be in charge of singing in the house of Yahweh. Maybe because Jehaziel was a Levite descendant, God chose him to be filled with the Spirit. He was also known as a prophet. Take a look at verse 15. When Jehaziel speaks God's word, there are some key words here that really resonate with clear speech of what they are to do. Here are eight takeaways from this prayer. This is what God is telling them. Number one, he tells them to listen. Twice he says this. And number two, don't be afraid. He says this twice as well. And number three, don't be discouraged. He says that twice. So this is a real emphasis of what God wants them to do. Number four, the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Number five, God told them to march out against them the next day. Number six, God tells them they won't need to fight. Number seven, he tells them to stand still and watch the Lord's victory. I love that because in Psalms 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Here he's telling them, stand still. Just watch God at work. Number eight, God assures them that he is with them. Isaiah 41.10 and verse 13 gives the same message. Do not be afraid. The Lord our God is with us wherever we go. He walks before us and he's our protector. He walks behind us. Psalms 46 verse 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Joshua 1 9, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. We're getting a lot of assurance that God is never leaving us. He's here forever. In John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John 15, 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Now those are some great verses. And, and those are keepers. Mark them in your Bible. Look at verses 18 through 19, and it notes that their response to God's spoken word is really necessary. So King Jehoshaphat did a couple of things. He bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah followed his lead. There's another mark of good leadership. He wants them to worship the Lord. That's what they did. They worshiped the Lord. Then the Levites stood, and they prayed to the Lord with a very loud voice and a shout. They didn't just murmur to themselves, nothing to be ashamed of. They shouted it out. In verse 20, so this next morning that came along, they did as what the Lord instructed them to do, right? They left for the wilderness where God told them to go. Here's another great mark of leadership by King Jehoshaphat. He stopped while they were on the way and he said, and he kind of gave them a reminder. He says, listen to me, believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe that the prophets heard from God and you will succeed. This is exactly what Joshua did back in the day in Joshua verses, chapter one, verses eight through nine. And that was to encourage his people. At verse 21, here again, praise is given to the Lord while they are marching forward. He has appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing praises unto the Lord. <laughs> Makes you wonder what the singers are thinking. Wait a minute, are we the sacrifice? <laughs> I don't think so. He just wanted that voice to be shouted out and the praise unto the Lord. This again is a mark of leadership by giving credit to whom credit is due. He's giving all the credit to the Lord for what they are doing. And verses 22 through 23, now here's a teachable moment. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Stir to start fighting amongst themselves. Can you imagine? All of a sudden they just turned on each other. They turned literally on their allies, killing every one of them, and then killing each other after they destroyed their allies. They were destructive within themselves. Verse 24 says, by the time Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of them escaped, none of them. Let's think about this. Here's uh, some good points to consider. Number one, we have to be courageous enough to ask God to help. Number two, we should reflect on his promises through scripture and past experiences of our own by reminding God of his commitment, which really reminds us. Number three, it is imperative that we believe 
he will fulfill his promises. Number four, realize that no matter where we go, there he is. And number five, to give thanks to the answer of our requests before we even receive the answers. Remember in Isaiah 65, 24, it says, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. God knows all, doesn't he? And take a look at 1 Peter 3:12, And then let's take a look at Matthew 7, 7. Jesus said to ask and it will be given us. John 15, 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. Mark 11:24 says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. John 16, verses 23 through 24 says, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. In John 14, 4, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16, whatever you ask in my name, that is the name of Jesus, the Father will give you. God can make good out of anything. He can make good out of any kind of calamity in our life, especially when we think that we cannot see the end of the tunnel. Have you ever been there? I think most of us have at some point in our life. In closing, this reminds me of an article I read about a father's story about his son. And he talks about his son, Johnny, who was outside walking in the field and throwing the ball up in the air and swinging at it with his baseball bat. Well, each time he kept saying, I'm the best ball player in the world. And he swung three times and missed the ball, striking himself out. And he keeps walking and he just picked up the ball and his baseball men walked away saying, man, what a pitcher. <laughs> I love that story because you know what? You can find good in everything. You be that Johnny that can find good out of whatever God gives you in life. It will happen. God bless you.